So I don't know what you thought of that reading, Revelation 2, 18 to 29. We're in this book, the Apocalypse, and of course we have to bear that in mind in terms of the imagery and the language that is used. But let's, um, let's try and learn some lessons. What is the Lord, which is the vision that John the Apostle has here of Jesus, speaking to the churches? What is he saying to us today even through his Spirit? as we think of this message to the church in Thyatira. I don't know, have you ever gone shopping with your child or your grandchild? As, uh, well, certainly when I was were younger, we, we would go shopping with them, and they needed a pair of shoes or something, or a pair of trousers or something anyway, and you thought naively, of course, it was simply a matter of buying some shoes. But oh no, you discover as you shop that the shoes must be of a certain design, hopefully with certain logo on them, maybe. Certainly a particular shape, perhaps a particular color as well, or combination of colors. And the last thing that's important is the price. That's not important at all. All that's important is the look. That's all that they go by. Why? Well, you discover it's because everybody else in the class is wearing these types of shoes, even to school, perhaps. And of course, your child doesn't want to stand out doesn't want to be different. He or she wants to be like everyone else, one of the crowd. Now, that, of course, is not restricted to children. We all want to, we all want to fit in. We all want to feel that we belong, that we're accepted. No one wants to stand out uh, as some sort of peculiar item, someone that's different from the group, at least not normally. Perhaps you need to see somebody if you do. But uh, in much of the ordinary things of life, that's perfectly understandable, and that's acceptable. We, we don't have to be peculiar or odd. We want, to, we want to belong. We want to be part of the group. But, and I think this is where our, our letter this morning really touches a nerve, there are in other things, our beliefs as Christians, our behavior, our habits, our lifestyle, as Christian people, where we sometimes have to make the difficult decision that we just cannot be like everybody else. As followers of Jesus Christ, we cannot tolerate, that's the key word here in our passage, we cannot tolerate some aspects of our culture and of our society that we live in today because, quite frankly, they are anti-Christian. Now, that's the problem with the church at Thyatira that we're looking at for these few minutes this morning. They were tolerating teaching and behavior that they should have confronted. But confrontation is difficult, isn't it? We, we don't like it. Confrontation can be very unpleasant on any level. Toleration, toleration. That's the big buzzword of the 21st century, especially in the West. Toleration, tolerate everything. It's so much more acceptable. It's the politically correct thing to do. So we must be tolerant people, nice people, who don't disagree with anybody really, and we, we don't cause a stir. And yet, as we see today, Jesus speaking to this church and to, our, to his church through the Spirit, on this occasion, he says, that they were wrong to tolerate certain things in the church. 
And that's why we have to always, as Christians and as Christian churches, that's why we have to listen to Jesus. We have to begin with Jesus, not with what our culture says or what public opinion says, because that will come and go, that will change. We begin and end with Jesus. He is Alpha and Omega. So, three C's this morning, very briefly. First is Christ. Christ. Why, why listen to him? Well, notice how he's introduced in this letter, verse 18. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. This is a picture of majesty. He's called the Son of God. That's a big title, isn't it? The Son of God? That's the one that other religions and other philosophies and other thoughts, they, they trip over that. They don't like that because Jesus is saying that he is God. He is equal to God the Father. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He rules and he reigns over all peoples and places and cultures and societies and lifestyles. We start with Christ. And as a Christian, you always in everything start with Jesus. You see, if, if we start with politics or culture or lifestyle or orientation or any of the other societal influences, you're going to get confused. You won't see things clearly. We start with Jesus Christ, who he is. Why? What's the implications of that? Well, he's the Son of God, and notice, this is the exalted Jesus who is speaking in this vision. This is after he has died on the cross to bear away our sins, and after he's risen from the dead to give us hope and victory, and after he's ascended into heaven to rule, this is Jesus speaking authoritatively. So here's the point, you see. The church belongs to Jesus. In a sense, it stands out of society, out of culture in a way, and Jesus is the one who has the right to say, whether you and I, whether individually or collectively, whether we're being obedient or disobedient, whether our belief is orthodox or heretical. We all give an account to Jesus. He is the Lord. The church belongs to him. It's Jesus' church. The church in Thyatira is Jesus' church. Park End Church is Jesus' church. Park End doesn't belong to you, doesn't belong to me, doesn't belong to us, doesn't even belong to the Presbyterian Church of Wales. It belongs to Jesus Christ, his body. He is the head of the church. And so in a way, it doesn't really matter. It's secondary what we think, how we feel, how we vote. What matters is what Jesus says, because he is Lord of the church. It's his church, and he has the authority and the right to examine his church, to commend us or to correct us, as we see here in this passage. No matter what others might say, that's secondary. His eyes are like fire. That is, he, he knows, he sees everything. He's the judge of all. So that's why we begin with Jesus. He is Lord. He is the truth. He knows the truth. He speaks the truth. And we ignore him and his word at our peril. And on things that he is intolerant about, then, friends, we too have to be intolerant. 
no matter how difficult or unpopular that might make us from time to time, because Jesus is Lord. But before we get on to those things that Jesus says he's, this church was tolerating, which they shouldn't be, let's just think of the positive. So that's Christ. Second C, commendation. Commendation. Jesus, this all-seeing, all-knowing judge, he says some good things about the church in Thyatira. And I wonder if he says it about Park End this morning. Now, Thyatira wasn't particularly important, not like some of the other churches that we've looked at. It wasn't a great center of learning, but it did have one thing for which it was famous, and that is its trade guilds. So uh, historians tell us, Thyatira had more guilds than any other town of its size. What do I mean? Well, it was on a very important trade route, and so there were guilds for all sorts of craftsmen. Guilds were like trade unions, I suppose. Carpenters, bronze workers, cobblers, uh, potters, weavers, all making and living their, their trade along this trade route. And perhaps one of the most famous guilds were people who dyed cloth, and especially the color purple. We're told that this purple dye, which was famous throughout the, that, then the world, came from a particular plant root which grew all around Thyatira. You may remember Lydia in the Acts, who became a, a Christian in Philippi. Uh, she was from Thyatira, and she was a dealer in purple cloth. Now, all the members of these different trade guilds were expected to share their lives, to share a common meal on a regular basis, but the meal was much more than just a, a meal out in the local pub or the local taverna, nothing wrong with that. This meal was eaten in a pagan temple, and the food you ate was meat that had been sacrificed to the pagan god because each guild had its own god or goddess, a sort of spiritual mascot, a good luck sign, as it were. And all the, the guild members were expected to participate in affirming their allegiance to this spirit of the guild. And what is worse, I suppose, as often happened in these trade guild meals, things descended into drunkenness and gross immorality and, and so on. Nevertheless, and this is what Jesus commends them for, in this very difficult environment, there were Christians in the church in Thyatira who were faithfully following Jesus. And he commends them for these five things. Listen, their deeds, their love and faith, their service and perseverance. That's a great list, isn't it? What would Jesus say about Park End this morning? Our deeds, our love and faith, our service and our perseverance. In other words, they were living faithfully like, like Jesus was living here on earth, doing good deeds. They were feeding the hungry, they were healing the sick, they were visiting those in prison, they were helping the poor, they were welcoming the marginalized, and so on. These are all great deeds which Jesus wants us as his church to also be involved in. They were persevering in faith and good works despite the challenges of their situation. Now, all that is good, says Jesus. Keep doing it. Keep being my hands and my feet in your community, showing my love to those who are in need in these different ways. That's a great commendation from Jesus. I wonder what he would say about us. Are we growing in good deeds? Are we deeper in our love for him and for others? 
Are we stronger in our faith than when we first became Christians? Because that's what he says, you're doing more than when you started. He commends them for this. Are we looking for opportunities to serve? Are we persevering and enduring despite the disappointments and uh, the setbacks, the challenges that we'll experience along the pilgrim path as we seek to follow Jesus? Jesus is speaking to us today. This church in Thyatira, it was doing well in many respects and he commends them for that. So, So what's the problem then? What's the message? Well, here's the third C, correction. Correction. Nevertheless, I have this against you, verse 20. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Now, she probably wasn't called Jezebel. The name is used, no doubt, as an image, as a metaphor, because it connects us with the Old Testament. If you know anything about the Old Testament, well, Jezebel was the wife of King Ahab. She's particularly noted for having introduced the worship of the god Baal and made it very popular, almost usurping the worship of Yahweh in ancient Israel. Baal was a fertility god, and his worship involved many immoral practices. Temple prostitutes, both male and female. Uh, She supported over 800 prophets of Baal, so we're told in the books of the Old Testament. She was the one, you remember, who wanted to kill Elijah after his famous encounter with the 480 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and the fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. So this this is Jezebel, and the name became synonymous with this seductive, uh, but spiritually fatal influence amongst God's people, teaching and practice that encouraged the following of other gods, idolatry, and with that, the loss of a moral compass, sexual immorality. And the problem was, you see, that this good church in Thyatira, many good things about it, looked good from the outside, but inside, it was tolerating this evil influence and its leaders and its members were doing nothing to to deal with this false prophet, this Jezebel of a woman. Now please don't misunderstand this. Jesus' problem, problem wasn't that she was a female prophet, it wasn't just Jezebel. No scripture forbids a woman from exercising the gift of prophecy. In fact, there are godly prophetesses in both Old and New Testament. No, the problem with this Thyatira's prophetess was not that she was a woman, but that she was a false prophet. She was, she was not speaking for God, although she was speaking and influencing the congregation. And so that's why Jesus has to speak to them and severely warn them of the consequences of tolerating, there's the word, tolerating such false teaching and uh, immoral ways. And so here's some very strong words Again, perhaps in terms of imagery, we need to understand them, but speaking the truth in love, Jesus rebukes and warns this church, as indeed he speaks to us and warns us. If we tolerate wrong teaching, sinful practices in our lives that deny the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ, 
then we will suffer serious consequences, whether that's as individual lives or, or indeed within the life of a church. There are blunt warnings here of well, what, what amounts to spiritual death for us, sickness and death, and for our children, no doubt, more an, inf uh, an image of those whom we influence as believers, perhaps not necessarily literally our children, but all those who come under our care. And whilst for this woman, she, she seems there's no more opportunity to repent because she's refused, nevertheless, thank God for us and for this church, Jesus in his grace and mercy continues to speak to us to correct us, to put things right. Someone has said, you see, sin may feel good for a little while, but it hurts for a very long time. What does that mean? Well, you see, the consequences are eternal. That's why it's serious. There's that famous line, isn't there, from the film Gladiator. What we do in life echoes in eternity. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Sin may seem good for a little while, but it hurts for a long time. And that's why Jesus in his love wants to correct us, to bring us back. Sin will always end in pain and death, but joy, life, comes from trusting and obeying the words of Jesus. And to those of us who follow his leading, there were some, he says, thank God there are people there in Thyatira who were not following him. To those, Jesus promises authority over the nations. Again, difficult perhaps to understand exactly what it means in terms of the vision, but maybe the authority he gives is he'll use us to turn this world upside down as we join his unstoppable mission to bring this world to acknowledge his kingship as we proclaim the gospel, as we live it out until he comes again. And he'll give us all we need. He'll give us the morning star, he says, as we set our hearts and lives to do that. Who's the morning star? Well, the morning star is Jesus himself, his spirit. He'll give us all we need. He'll equip us to remain faithful to him. If we repent, if we turn from our sins, if we turn towards God, we'll have sufficient grace now and unimaginable glory with Jesus for all eternity. That's why, that's why he encourages us to hold on to what we have until he comes. Some translations perhaps better express it to hold fast. Hold fast to what you have. Those, uh, that expression to hold fast is made up of two Greek words, which we're told were often associated with sailors, with sailing. It means to wrap your arms tightly around something solid. In the, in the case of sailing, like the mast of the boat, to wrap your arms, hold fast, so that you survive the storm, the winds, and the buffeting waves. Hold fast. Wrap your arms around. Sometimes the pressures of life can seem overwhelming, can't they? Storms of life. It's hard to stand against the current of a culture today that by and large has rejected Christian beliefs and values. But we're called to do so in Jesus' name. 
And as Jesus said to his disciples, if they've persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Don't be surprised. Just last Friday morning, I joined a meeting on Zoom to pray for our brothers and sisters in the Presbyterian Church in Mizoram in Northeast India. Have you heard about what's going on in Northeast India right now? They are going through the fires of terrible persecution. We had a pastor from Manipur join the Zoom call. He was in tears as he shared with us the heartbreaking news of scores of church members being shot and killed, over 300 churches being burnt down, thousands of Christians being displaced, hounded out of their, their homes and their villages. Right now, all this has happened since May. Why? Simply because they were holding fast to Jesus Christ in the face of religious persecution. Now, fortunately, we in the UK do not as yet have to suffer such hostile and open opposition for our faith. Maybe that day will come, we don't know. But even so, in more subtle ways, our allegiance to Jesus is being tested. You'll know that. In the workplace, in school, in the university, just amongst our friends. And it'll be increasingly tested as we refuse to compromise even though we may be seen as being intolerant and unaccommodating on times. Because unapologetically, I hope, we hold fast to Jesus Christ. Because he is the Son of God. And in him alone, our greatest needs are satisfied. Only in Jesus is there forgiveness for our sins. Only through Jesus can we be put right with God. Only in Jesus is there hope of eternal life. Only in Jesus is there true peace and joy. That's why I trust we all hold fast to him, whatever we're called to go through. And we don't apologize for being intolerant of those things that he is intolerant of, because he is our savior, he is our Lord. And the wonderful truth is this, that as we hold fast to him, we discover that he first is holding fast to us. He has promised never to leave us, never to forsake us as we follow him. So hold fast. Hold fast, Christian brother and sister, whatever your situation is this morning, hold fast to Jesus Christ until he comes.